coming up. They looked at this case, and the question on their minds was, was he complicit in murder? Now, that could be argued from all different sides. What is complicity? Putting your hand on the trigger or being present when somebody's killed? There, there's a difference there. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Today on The Daily Crime, something a little different. A story out of Tennessee. In the case of a 95-year-old man who was recently forced to leave his home and return to his native country, Germany, for crimes he's accused of committing decades earlier as a much younger man. I'm joined by WBIR reporter and producer John North in Knoxville. John, the man in question here, Friedrich Karl Berger, or Fritz Berger, was actually living in the United States for much of his adult life, right? He lived here in East Tennessee for decades. We surmised probably since the 1960s, lived very quietly, uh, uh, most people had no clue about his wartime background at all. He was just this kind of nice German fellow who went about, uh, from what we understand from the neighbors, went about his job. He had a family, he had a daughter, um, ultimately moved into a nice, quiet cul-de-sac in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and nobody thought any differently until kind of out of nowhere about a year or two ago, the Fed suddenly said, we want him out of the country. And they had good reason for that, according to the Department of Justice. Tell us about what's been going on over the past year and where 95-year-old Carl Fritz Berger is is now located. He ended up here in the late 50s. He had been, as a 19-year-old, a member of the German Navy who was assigned to help guard uh, a prison camp, a concentration camp in Germany. The Germans, the Nazis in particular, operated uh, all kinds of concentration camps, primarily in Germany and in Poland. And this one was near the Dutch border. It was a, what's called a sub-camp. So it was part of the Neuengamme uh, concentration camp, which was based in Hamburg. And this was a sub-camp called Meppen near the Dutch border, which had a thousand, maybe two thousand prisoners, some Jews, Russians, Poles, and um, he was amongst a group of young Germans from the Navy who was assigned to guard this work camp where prisoners were forced basically to do work. They would come and go. The guards, like Mr. Berger, didn't live within the camp boundaries. They lived outside. They were given weapons to guard the prisoners. Um, Mr. Berger's attorney, a Knoxville attorney here named Hugh Ward, says he hardly knew how to fire the gun and wasn't even really interested in firing the weapon and never hurt anybody while he was guarding prisoners. And this all happened in March of 1945. If you know anything about history, you know Germany was in its last gasps at that point. The Allies were moving in quickly. The British, the Americans, uh, other forces closing on Germany, and the British were coming in pretty quickly at that point into Nazi Germany. So the Germans knew it. They knew they were in their final days, and uh, right toward the end of March, the Nazis ordered that that subcamp, that Meppen subcamp, be cleared out. So what they did is they loaded up the prisoners, those that could march, marched, and those that were too feeble to march were put on trains, and they were hauled back over a period of two weeks to closer to Hamburg. And throughout all of that, Mr. Berger, as I understand, and just to to clarify, was 
not a Nazi, but a member of the German Navy. And so the allegations really against him are that he was uh, at least assigned to these concentration camps, part of Germany's darkest history and days, and helped to guard prisoners. Right. It's it's the distinction is important uh, both for Mr. Berger and for the Department of Justice. It's important to to say explicitly what we're talking about. First of all, his attorney has been very clear. There's never been an accusation that Mr. Berger committed war crimes. The Nazis are infamous for the atrocities they committed. They ran the camps. He worked as a member of the German Navy uh, under Nazi command. He, however, according to the Department of Justice, was a participant in this and could have objected and never did, and they consider that persecution against humanity because the prisoners were subjected to terrible conditions. Some died. uh, Many tried to escape. And the government says, you, Mr. Berger, were part of it. You didn't have to be. You could have objected. You didn't, and you took part in this as a young man. So that's why, under United States law, you should be deported. Now, um, I, I would imagine that Mr. Berger's attorney would say, look, this is a 19-year-old kid who was going to buck Adolf Hitler's military command. Everybody did what they were supposed to. But that's sort of mood at this point. How so? Because he was part of it and the decision's been made to deport him, and in fact he's gone? He's gone now. He's in Frankfurt, and uh, honestly, uh, his attorney here in the United States is going to continue to work on his behalf. But, I, I, you know, uh, the the government moved as quickly as it possibly could to get him out uh, and did. Um, shipped him out overnight Friday into Saturday, and he was gone. And and then we heard suddenly Saturday morning, the, you know, the DOJ said he's in Germany now and he'll have to deal with German authorities. And and how you said he lived quietly, you know, uh, in the Knoxville area for a long time, had a nice house and seemed to be just a, a normal guy living his life. But how did this come to the attention of authorities? So here's how he was discovered and how others like him were discovered. 1945, the Allies defeat um, the Germans in the spring. Hitler commits suicide in April 1945 in Berlin. In early May 1945, another example of the horrors that the Nazis committed, they loaded up many of these prisoners of war, some of whom had been held in these camps, which I was just talking about in the Neuengamme camp system. It was their intent to load these prisoners up on these uh, ships and sink them in the Baltic. One of the ships that was loaded with prisoners uh, was called the Thielbeck. It was an old steamship, and the Germans had commandeered it. So the British, the RAF, uh, bombed this ship. They didn't know exactly who was on it. They didn't know that there were prisoners of war, innocent people on the ship, but they bombed it anyway, and it sank. Uh, in this harbor, hundreds of people died. Some people lived, but hundreds of people died. The ship then sat uh, in the water at the bottom there for several years, and it was salvaged in about 1949. It turns out that contained on the ship 
were also military records of people who had participated in the war effort on Germany's behalf, including members of the German Navy. Mr. Berger's war record was contained in that shipwreck, and once the ship was salvaged in late 1949, early 1950s, this information began to be discovered. Well, we're not just talking about one person, one Mr. Berger. There were many other people whose records were discovered. And as you may know, the Allies pledged to try to prosecute and go after everybody and, and get a record of everybody who took part in this horrific war effort by Germany and Hitler. So these records were discovered of Mr. Berger. Now, it wasn't immediately that the United States government did anything about it for obvious reasons. They were focusing on some of the worst offenders in their minds, but they eventually got to him. Uh, this information had been retained, uh, kept, recorded, it's archived, and they had it. And it was by about 2017 or 18 that they said, okay, now it's time to go after Mr. Berger. And that's what they, that's what they did. Interestingly enough, I talked to um, the fellow who oversees the human rights and special prosecution section of the DOJ, which does this kind of stuff. His name is Eli Rosenbaum. And he told me as I was doing reporting on this last year that Fritz Berger actually may be the last such man of his kind in the United States to face deportation. There are some obvious reasons for that. He's in his 90s. If you took part in World War II in Germany, you're a very, very old person. But it, it appeared, uh, according to what he told me, that from the government's knowledge, he may be the last one. That story of how they were able to trace him back to doing what he did so long ago is absolutely fascinating. And, and the fact that he's, he's one of the last, of course, a really interesting footnote. There have been many others like Fritz Berger, correct? Many. Um, the United States government says it has deported, I think, something like 70. And you, you'll recall, listeners will recall some of the really bad ones, some of the people that the United States government said really committed war crimes. I, I think the name John Demyanyuk comes to mind from, I think he lived in the Chicago area perhaps 10, 15 years ago. He uh, was targeted by the United States government. There have been some other ones that are really the ones where you're like, okay, you were a member of the SS, or you were somebody who, who hurt people, who shot, killed people. So yes, it, it, amongst all of those people that the government has deported, there are some bad ones, um, for sure. What will happen to Fritz Berger in Germany? Here's what I understand. I've been communicating a little bit with the Bild newspaper, which is one of the largest newspapers in Germany. Thankfully, they still have a strong newspaper uh, world in Germany. And We've been trading some information. What they tell me is that uh, German prosecutors have looked at Mr. Berger before they did not have the opportunity to question him because he lived here in the United States. So, But they looked at this case, and the question on their minds was, was he complicit in murder in any way? Now, that could be argued from all different sides, what is complicity? Putting your hand on the trigger or being present when somebody's killed. There, there's a difference there. But according to what the German reporters have told me, the German government, the prosecution in late 2020 said, well, we have no, no angles to pursue right now. Uh, we're done. I mean, 
we have done the best we can do based on the information we have at hand, but we don't have any more. But if Mr. Berger will talk to us, we will again consider whether there's a case to be had there. So here's the current status as I understand it. He landed in Frankfurt Saturday. He is being held, as I understand it, at an assisted living residence there. Uh, his attorney tells me he is not in German custody. The Germans have been very, very careful about COVID-19, so he's got to go through a quarantine phase. But he has, according to German authorities, he has consented to talk to prosecutors there, to police. Um, presumably, they're going to say, all right, Mr. Berger, um, did you ever hurt anybody? Did you ever shoot or kill anybody? Were you ever present when that occurred in 1945 at Meppen? And he'll say whatever he's going to say. I would bet you, I'm pretty confident based on conversations I've had with his attorney and the court records I've seen, that he's going to say, I never did anything like that. I never witnessed any of that. I wasn't present. Was Fritz Berger married? Did he have kids? What's happened to his family? He was. Um, some of them still live here in, in East Tennessee. I have not spoken to them. One of my colleagues, Cole Sullivan, when we first began reporting this story about a year ago, went to the neighborhood, talked to some neighbors, uh, talked to Mr. Berger on the phone very briefly before Mr. Berger cut the conversation off. Um, so we've not talked directly to the family. He had a wife. I believe she's passed. He has a daughter. I think she was looking after him. I'm inferring that from court records, but she was looking after him. He lived, as I mentioned, a nice house, quiet cul-de-sac. Neighbors said, didn't know anything about his past. He was a nice old German guy. That's what we knew about him. But I'm not giving up. I'm hoping that there's an opportunity when I could speak with the daughter. Um, we know when he came to the United States from Canada in 1959, he was married at that time and had the daughter, but that's about all we know. John, you've done your legwork on this story. We appreciate your telling us about it and keep us posted on on whatever you, you do here from either Fritzberger down the road or family members or or wherever you, you get more information on this one. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. I have to tell you, Will, of course, being a journalist is always fascinating, and this is one of the most interesting cases I've covered in recent years. For so many different reasons, which we've discussed, you just sort of shake your head and go, man. I mean, fiction is interesting. Nonfiction, for for me, is way more fascinating. Yeah, and I should add that if, if anyone wants to learn more or see some images of of uh, events tied to those that Mr. Berger was, was, has been linked to, you can go to WBIR.com and search for this story, right? That's right. I've got several stories posted there. We've got several TV stories. I have a story I did based on my conversation with Eli Rosenbaum, who has been heading this effort to identify and get rid of the people the government deems undesirable. So there's, there's more to be read for sure. John, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Will. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here every weekday with new episodes Monday through Friday. We also have a weekly show covering cases around the country, True Crime Chronicles. Check it out today wherever you listen to podcasts. That's True Crime Chronicles. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.